Hi, welcome to another episode of Not Another Bad Movie Podcast with me, Megan. Today, my guest is Sarah Ift Decker. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I didn't mean for us to watch a Christmas movie, but <laughs> when I heard that you had Prime, uh, I had a hard time kind of like searching for Hallmark stuff and... I just searched for Danica uh, McKellar and because she's in a lot and yeah. uh, that brought up a lot of things and that was the very first thing and it was free and I was not going to make you pay to watch a Hallmark movie. <laughs> so even though you offered, which is very nice of you. <laughs> well, I am thrilled that you chose this movie because it is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen and I'm delighted to have seen it. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, it was funny, uh, on Sunday, it occurred to me, I think Sarah's Jewish. I don't know how many Christmas movies you watch. Is that true? So funny story. I, I am Jewish. Um, uh, my father is Christian, so I did actually do Christmas with my grandparents when I was a kid. But my mother did not let me watch movies with Christmas in the title for most oh. of my life, or for my childhood. So I saw The Nightmare Before Christmas, like, two years ago. What did you make of it? I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> I remember watching it in school and being like, this is a strange movie. <laughs> I guess it's arguably a Halloween movie, not a Christmas movie, but... Yeah. It, it kind of bridges the gap between those two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah so... This movie is, is something. It really is. Um, I have some theories, ultimately, about how to make the end of this movie make sense, but uh, we can discuss those when we get further along. Yeah. Um, so this movie is called Love at the Christmas Table, is that right? Yes. Yeah. At the Christmas Table. I couldn't, tell, I couldn't remember if it was at the Christmas Table or under the Christmas Table. Under would make more like, sense, yeah. Yeah, because they're like constantly <laughs> crawling underneath tables in this movie. <laughs> they are. That's the great source of their romance. Yeah, because, you know, when you're spontaneous with someone, it means that you have a real connection with them. That's how these movies work. <laughs> and there's nothing yep. more spontaneous than just crawling under tables. Nope, absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, and also doing the same things you did when you were five. Exactly. <laughs> no need to, you know, change at all in the years that pass from five years old to 28, which is where we nope. went. <laughs> uh, so this movie is set in Illinois. Um, the main character, Sam, comes home and we know he's been away for five years. Um, E.B. is the owner of the house and there's a girl who goes by Kat, her name's Catherine, uh, her mom is dead, and his dad and her dad made a business together, and this is the yearly employee party. And then right. it goes back and explains everything from when they were five. Right, and her dad is played by Scott Patterson, who is Luke from Gilmore Girls, which I was very excited about because I just started watching Gilmore Girls. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I meant to do a bit of IMDb. It's, um, is Leah Thompson her name? The woman who plays, um... Yes, I think so. I forgot to actually look up what else she'd been in, because she didn't look super familiar to me. She looked familiar to me, but, like, not 
in a way where I was like, she's this character from this thing, but just like, oh, she's around. <laughs> yeah, and then his dad is Brian Husky, who I think probably deserves better than this movie. Um, because I mean, he's like a legit character actor. He's in a lot of stuff. I think he's also done some voice work. I want to say he was in BoJack Horseman, but now I can't remember as what. The thing I remember him from is the People of Earth show. I think is he in that? Maybe I never actually saw that. It's interesting. It's about aliens. <laughs> I've seen oh, fun episodes here and there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I've definitely seen him in small roles in a bunch of things, and he is generally very good. Oh yeah, he's. He's always a solid uh, bet, I would say. Yeah. Um, so we get two recaps of their childhood. One is a montage uh, where they get drunk on rum cake, but not really, but they think they do. Uh, that was kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, so they, they start when they're four, right? And they first met. Um, uh, and then... There's the little scene when they're 13, and I think she stabs him with a fork. Yeah, he tries to uh, plant a kiss on her, and she's not having it, so she just yeah. stabs him with a fork. It was also kind of funny, because in the scenes when they're four, and I think there's one when they're eight, too, they actually did a really good job at casting the children who are supposed to be the young versions of them, and then for age 13, her skin suddenly lightens by, like, three shades, and it's a little odd. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if maybe... She's reading a book. Maybe she's been spending a lot of time indoors, and that's why. Right, yeah. She's completely lost her tan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they always seem to be having fun together. At 13, she's kind of reading a book and off by herself. And he's like, oh, let's make this happen or something. And then she stabs him with a fork. And then we get a second recap, which is they're both 18 he's gone away to college and he's just come back and he thinks he's really cool he's reading some literature just brought home from school and he's wearing like a secondhand blazer and uh, he's like i don't know why you're talking to me you've never liked me and then she explains that they do see each other aside from christmas they go to the same high school they have a lot of the same friends in common and he shouldn't get to say who she likes and doesn't like and punches him in the shoulder. <laughs> She's uh, She apparently helped him hook up with somebody in high school, so that's real friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind um, the scenes, trying to talk him up, I guess. Yeah. This is also, I guess, that they're supposed to be 18, and this is the first time that we switch to our actual main actors, so Danica McKellar, and I actually do not remember what his name is, um, but they're, yeah, but they are definitely about, I don't know, 40 or something and cannot entirely play 18. I believe them as 18, sort of. I mean, they definitely look like adults and 18 year olds typically look like foundlings but <laughs> right yeah I mean I, I teach 18 year olds and so I was kind of looking at these people and going you're not 18 but uh... <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how much time I spend around 18 year olds so maybe that's why I was like yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah so they get drunk on the rum cake yeah oh yeah um, and then they at 18 decide to go through Evie's movies, which are all Christmas movies, 
and they're like making up cynical um like taglines for them but were those real movies or were they like none of none of them were movies that i actually recognized at least i kind of want i kind of wonder if they were like other hallmark movies maybe i didn't recognize any of the titles and i was like did you not get the rights to say titles or am yeah. I supposed to know what these movies are? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure out what they were. Also, at some point, E.B. then says, you kids think too much while reading their cynical titles. And the whole thing was a little ridiculous because it was clear that the movie is trying to present them as very, very clever and is not actually succeeding in presenting them as that clever. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it did feel like a very 18-year-old kind of activity, though. Like, we're too definitely. Clever. Christmas movies. Let's come up with snarky comments, and then like the snarky comments are like just really obvious and yeah, uh, very interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the only one that like made sense to me was like it's about an orphan and economic disparity, which I guess is about Annie. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. The rest of them, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just didn't even know what movies they were supposed to be referencing most of the time, so. Yeah, so I, I had no idea what they were saying. And then they said that, <laughs> and I'm like, I guess they're talking about Annie, I don't know. <laughs> um, but they fall asleep watching the movie, and they almost hold hands, and um, their dads, like, try to wake them up, or get them to jump off the bed or something. They seem very anxious about the idea that they might potentially make out, given that they're 18 and one of them is away at college. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they just, like, wanted to razz them or something, and then they end up yeah. like, writing all over their faces. Right. I think they write Feliz Navidad, which is kind of weird, since definitely nobody in this movie is supposed to be a, like, person of any Spanish-speaking background. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was kind of random. Uh, <laughs> of all and, things. Uh, when they walk out, uh, she's like, oh, are we supposed to, like, hug or something? And he's like, nah. And then she's like, I guess it's five years until this becomes a habit, and ten years before this becomes a tradition. And then, like, ten years later, they end the movie with them getting together. So I'm like, is that why? <laughs> Yeah. My thought also at this point was, are we now really going to have to see them at this, just at this party every 10 years or like for the next 10 years? And then that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. What I wish this movie had done is like had five years of them seeing each other and have it be like they see each other every time he comes home from school. So it's like, for a week at a time but no they see each other at this party and then a year later they see each other at this party and then a year and later they see each other at this party <laughs> there's no evidence that they even talk to each other in the meantime it's really weird yeah because i was like oh, okay so they're probably like still friends and they like chat but we don't see that because it's just showing us this party but then later it makes it sound like they don't talk to each other at all unless they're face-to-face and they're only face-to-face at this party. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't because then eventually where there's the stuff with his girlfriend that he has, she doesn't seem to have known at all that he has a girlfriend or that he, like, or, and then I guess he only knows that, she only knows that he broke up with the girlfriend because the girlfriend called her. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me wonder, did this woman literally call every single female in his phone and was like, ah, he's breaking up with me for you, and then hang up and then call the next woman, ah, he's breaking up with me for you. <laughs> I guess because she went to the Christmas party that one time, she can sense the connection that they had uh, at this party, which is the only time they see each other in a year. (laughs) Yeah. So when they're 19, we see them again. And (laughs) finally, there are other kids present at this party. Up until this point, it's been the employees who are all adults and them two. And then this time... There's them two, another one of their high school mates, this blonde woman, and then, like, actual children. And they're all sitting at the children's table. Right. It's kind of weird because I don't understand where the children came from and why they weren't there in previous years. It makes me wonder, like, when their dads hired people, did they hire a lot of young people who didn't have children of their own? And then now these people are finally having kids? Right, but they weren't there at age 18 either. There weren't any children. So maybe there was a huge expansion of the business and they hired a lot of new employees who had children in the like 8 to 10 year old range. Yeah, that makes more sense because you wouldn't suddenly, (laughs) unless you adopted them and every single person in your company only adopted and no one had natural children, you wouldn't suddenly have like 8 year olds. You would have newborns. (laughs) Right, there are no other children that seem to age. It's very strange. Yeah, it's like the same... I mean, maybe they're different children. They probably are. Unless they played the same characters over a few years. I guess I didn't really pay enough attention to the children. But they're, they yeah. seem to be like 8 to 10. Yeah. There just seems to be a kind of crop of children of that age group just at any given time from basically yeah. age 19 on. Um, so the one girl who has blonde hair, I don't know. I di- didn't get her name. Did you get her name? I don't remember her name, but I think that's the girl that he that she helped him hook up with in high school. I think. Oh, okay. She does like tease him when the blonde girl like gets huffy and walks off, and then he's like, "Right, oh, you're joyless." And then um, she's like, "Oh, well, you liked her well enough in high school, so that does make sense. Right, that would be the same girl." Yeah. With also the delightful euphemism, I think, is used of a got her to, got him got her to show him her tractor. <laughs> yeah, which is not one I've heard before. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in Illinois, that's what everyone says. Right. <laughs> they don't seem to be like that near farmland though maybe they are we see a little bit of the small town later but right we're mainly just in this one house forever yeah there's not a lot of evidence that there is any other part of the world actually it's kind of (laughs) eerie like he even keeps talking about the city like does he mean chicago i mean but he never says what city it is it's really strange yeah because when he finally does bring that australian woman who's his girlfriend he talks about meeting her at the UN. So I'm assuming they must both live in New York City. Right. But then he just keeps saying, yeah, but he keeps saying just the city. And so it's, is it the same city the whole time that he's been living in? Right. Is it the city that's actually near them? Yeah. None of this is clear. No, it's just like, Oh, a big city somewhere. It could be Australia for all we know. Who knows? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, so, At 19, Kat has recently broken up with her boyfriend, and Sam tries to make her feel better by saying he's an idiot, narcissist, sociopath. 
Right. And then the children say that she should chug her juice like it's a drinking game. Right. That's also, I think, the year they have the really irresponsible ice fight. Actually, it's year 20. Oh, that's 20. Okay. It may as well be the same year because I think that's all that happens at age 20. Okay. It's just the, it's just the ice fight. It's just the ice fight. (laughs) It's like, I understand that you get nostalgic for when you were a kid and like, that would be fun, but it never feels like they care about these children. Like when I try to to kids, I like make it about them, but like, they're like, I just want to feel like a kid. I'll say like inappropriate things in front of these kids and encourage them to do stupid things. I don't care. Yeah, the children are just weird accessories for their flirtation, and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but the kids are into it, so I guess it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, they, they seem happy that the 20-year-olds are paying attention to them, I guess. Yeah. Um, at age 21, they're finally at the adult table, and then they crawl underneath the adult table to get to the children's table. <laughs> <laughs> At which point the children are also definitely not into them. I guess they finally have realized that they don't want to be part of their weird relationship and would rather hang out on their own. Yeah. (laughs) It was interesting, too, because I feel like the adults definitely saw them do that and were just like, eh, we don't care. We're going to continue our conversations. And then, like, the couple that's crawling is like pretending like oh we're totally getting away with something here and it's like no like you were huge you're adults like they definitely know you're under there yeah they're crawling over their parents feet yeah um and then they have some weird joke about everyone has to bring something christmas related to i don't know the saint peter or something which i don't know it's a weird premise for a joke and then he said it's a weird premise for a joke yeah, and then he's like, oh, I have a pair of panties, but it's Carol's panties. And it's like, haha, they're so... So funny. They're older now. <laughs> Look how adult they are. Yeah. They can drink. They don't have to illicitly get drunk on rum cake anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, at age 22, uh, he, uh, Sam, is going to get an internship somewhere. I think it's at a newspaper in oh. the city. That's quite a prestigious <laughs> newspaper. In uh-huh. I'm sure you can tell. Yeah. Um, his dad says, don't move back to Illinois. Pursue this internship. You just want to come home for Kat and you haven't even talked to her. And right. Kat, in the meantime, has been working at the workshop doing something. Who knows what? And... Uh, Oh, boy. He also says, you're not built for contentment, which is a weird thing to say to your son. It is a weird thing to say to your son. I think she also tells him he's being an idiot for trying to move back home. Yeah, because he wants to move back for her, sort of, even though they have no relationship to speak of. No. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, I'm just going to, like, take a gap year and put press pause on my life and then we can like hang out and then we'll decide what we want to be when we grow up and she's like uh i'm already a grown-up buddy so don't do me any favors right i feel like the dynamic is a little weird in that he's gone to college and she hasn't and i feel like there is this occasional dynamic of him trying to make her look dumb 
which sort of irritates me. But she also, on the other hand, has a real job and feels like she has her life together, whereas he feels like he's kind of floundering. Yeah. Um, at age 23, he doesn't come back. And then that blonde friend is there. And she seems drunk. Did she seem drunk to you, the blonde friend? She just seemed weird. I mean, so for part of it, she seemed like she just aggressively had no personality other than being blonde. Right. I mean, she also is like, oh, I'm so interesting and of such a mixed background because I'm part Swedish and part Australian. It's like, ah, yes, mixed race, Swedish and Australian. (laughs) Yeah, she comes when Sam comes the next year. Right. Oh, yeah, sorry. 23 is just the other blonde girl who does definitely seem drunk. Sorry, I'm mixing up my blonde women. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they're so distinct. How could you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's it's strange that she's drunk, though, because she ends up driving her friend to another party, and, like, no one seems to think that this is a problem. <laughs> no. But she's, yeah, she's definitely drunk. <laughs> um, then age 24, Sam brings his girlfriend. She's Australian. She speaks 11 languages. She works for the UN. He did some interviews, met her. Now they've been dating. No one knew about this woman until he brought her home. Right. And she's super charming. Everyone loves her. Kat's getting upset. And Kat doesn't have a boyfriend and feels bad about it. And so she says, oh, I'm almost dating that guy in the corner. (laughs) That guy. Just the one who's over there. Because clearly the only people you can have a relationship with are people who are at this weird party. It's kind of almost like they're toys that wake up once a year and then they go to sleep and, like, nothing happens for 364 days. I kind of have a theory related to that, um, (laughs) which I will share once we get to the end about one one of the ways in which this movie might make sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her her, um, mom figure, E.B., the woman who owns this house and works for cat's uh, dad um, she uh, makes this disgusting concoction and tells her the story of Mrs. Haversham from Great Expectations um, how she like leaves the clock at 920 before she was betrayed and wears her wedding gown because she never got to marry the man because he just like left it in her room and left her hanging dry She's like, you can't be a Haversham like I am, because the reason I leave up my Christmas decorations is because it was Christmas Eve and I realized that your dad couldn't love me because he was in love with your mom instead, and I don't want you to end up like me. Yeah, also I will say the Miss Havisham metaphor here is terrible, because she's basically implying that Kat is Miss Havisham because she still has a crush on the guy that she found out an hour ago has a girlfriend, and they're 24. Yeah, I don't know, because, like, maybe, and this is part of the problem of the movie, too, is, like, because we only get these glimpses, it's, like, you have no idea what anyone's thinking or how this relates to their day-to-day life, but, like, maybe she just sits around all year waiting for him to come back so she can flirt with him, and she has nothing else going on. I (laughs) guess? You really need to stop. (laughs) I guess. It's sort of bizarre. 
Um, and as I said, I feel like this is this weird effort also to bring in this metaphor. And I also find it odd that at age 24, there's no reason to think that Kat has ever heard of the book Great Expectations based on this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I've not read it, but I've definitely heard of it. <laughs> right. Like if somebody said Miss Havisham, like you, like you recognize that they were referring to Great Expectations when you read the, like, when they had this scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had to read it in high school, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The way that they execute the movie, spoiler alert, is that E.B. ends up with Kat's dad, and Kat ends up with Sam. Right. And so it's like, I feel like the real meaning would be for them to move on with their lives. Then the metaphor would make sense. Yeah. But instead it kind of implies that the only real cure for Miss Havisham would have been if the guy had come back. Right. (laughs) It's like, you fall in love with someone and you try to make it work and it doesn't matter who they are or what they did to you. You just have to try and make it work and then it'll either work out or it won't. And then hopefully it does because that's the only cure. And And you definitely can't move on or date somebody else or not date somebody or anything. No. Yeah. I did not like that as a message. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, So the next year, uh, Kat was dating Clint, who was that random guy in the corner, uh, who she left with at the end of the party last year. Um, And... He was two-timing her, liked the other girl better, and proposed to the other girl. Right. So she's very upset about this. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, that would be pretty terrible. Um, Yeah. He's still an employee at the company, and so he's invited to the employee party, so he's there, and he's there with his fiance, and he's telling the story about how he proposed, and... Cat is overhearing it and feeling really miserable. And, and talking to her dad, who is yeah. like, well, I can't fire him. It's like, maybe you could have, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how strong the workforce is in nameless town, Illinois. <laughs> That's true. Maybe there's literally no one else they can hire. Right. No one wants to move there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that seems fair. <laughs> Um, and Sam has come home. It sounds like he was living with his girlfriend in Australia, but it's not super clear. And his girlfriend, like, gave him permission to go to comfort, uh, Kat, because Kat's really down about this breakup, which I guess he's heard from his parents. Right. And the whole thing is very weird, because... His mother clearly seems to think that he's then in love with Kat and that she seems to think that Rebecca, I think that's the girlfriend's name, knows this. Despite the fact that Kat and Sam still at this point have not, like, kissed or anything even. And again, there's no evidence that they speak at any other time of the year. Right. And I'm like, they must be in contact because otherwise this makes no sense at all. They're just not showing it to us. But then the next year, he comes home, he's broken up with his girlfriend, Um, Kat admits that Rebecca has followed her crying, 
and he's embarrassed. He's really cold because he's not wearing a jacket. She's wearing this enormous parka, um, and they're walking to the workshop that their parents own. And then she lets him wear the jacket, stands in front of him, uh, puts her arms inside the arms of the jacket because it's so enormous, can fit them both. And then they walk and walk step together. And I thought that was pretty funny. It was. It also does look horribly uncomfortable. Yeah, but... it does. <laughs> it's also, I think, at about this year where you start to wonder what the neighbors think of this Christmas party. Um, because there was one year where they just all started dancing to really loud music on the lawn. And then I think this year they start doing like drunk, really loud karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not at the party, you must absolutely hate this entire company and Evie and everything. Yeah. Like she must have some next door neighbors who just like dread Christmas. Yeah. Not to mention her house looks like a crazy Christmas town village house all year round. (laughs) Right, which is insane. (laughs) It's like, ooh, that's cute. Um, When are you going to take that down? Oh, never? Huh, okay. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So when they get to the workshop, she has a lot of her work there. Uh, She's a woodworker. She makes furniture. He never knew that about her. And was like, oh, I just assumed you worked in the office. And she's really hurt to think that he doesn't, like, respect her work or understand what she does. And he's like, well, it's not like you know what I do, really. Like, we don't really actually know each other. Because we don't talk at any other point in the year. Right. And then I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) This whole time I thought you guys were, like, close and, like, loved seeing each other in person, but, like had some sort of communication throughout the year and now it seems like I was right by thinking maybe you don't talk it doesn't seem you do talk you have no idea what the other person's doing like you don't really know anything about each other except that you're both goofy and you like to flirt with each other at at a Christmas party that's all you know about each other it's very weird and if you want to have that relationship with somebody, fine, but they make it seem like they're the loves of each other's lives and it's this incredibly deep, important relationship. And it's a relationship that apparently exists once a year. Yeah. It, and that's where this movie gets weird. Because, like, there's so many things that are weird. There are so many <laughs> like, things like, that are weird. <laughs> I feel like there are people who go away to school or whatever and they come home once a year and they have a few people who they have a flirtatious relationship with and they lead that person on and they flirt with them and maybe like they sleep with them and they're like oh maybe I should come back home and then they like never come back home and then eventually that person's like you're kind of a jerk and they let it go or it's just like a mutual like fun little flirtatious thing that neither one of them takes seriously but this is like something altogether different like they seem to take it seriously and be disappointed that they can't spend more time with each other but it never occurs to them that they like have technology to talk to each other (laughs) right they could at least call each other and also probably they could occasionally travel more than once a year to see each other if they really wanted to right i mean it's not like the 1800s and even then 
you would be writing letters and it would like take a while for you to get the letters, but you would like make the effort. So these guys can't be bothered. <laughs> no, just I can't possibly send an email to this person. Yeah, it's too much work. <laughs> um, so they kiss. Apolog- oh, yes. sorry. Yeah, he apologizes for hurting her, um, I guess, because I don't know. Because he was leading her on? He he was talking about hurting her, but I don't know what he did to hurt her. I guess just by not actually paying attention to her life. And then he says something like, I would never do anything to intentionally hurt you. And it's like, oh, okay, so you would just be an oblivious jerk and accidentally hurt her. That's that's better. <laughs> I mean, at least it's honest. Right. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm not a smart guy, but I'm never going to intentionally hurt you. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> I, yeah exactly I would never knowingly hurt you I'm not going to pay enough attention to realize if I'm accidentally hurting you but <laughs> it almost sounds too like like almost like he was afraid of being trapped by his own words so he's like I need to put a buffer in here like if right. I allegedly hurt you in the future <laughs> here to <laughs> like just to let you know I never claimed or promised or guaranteed that I would not hurt you <laughs> he had a lawyer drop a contract right <laughs> um, but yeah they do kiss and I'm like okay now they're in a relationship and then we skip ahead a year <laughs> yeah so well after they kiss she just kind of takes off um, which I like to think is because he was such a bad kisser um, but <laughs> It's probably, I think, because she realized I don't actually have that much of a connection because then the next year she doesn't show up to the party. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, did she, like, attempt to keep it going? Like, oh, I kissed you and now we should talk. And then he, like, never reciprocated. But it doesn't sound like she did. It just sounds like nothing happened at all. I think they actually even say that they should talk at some point before Christmas the following year. And then it seems like they didn't. And I don't know if that's because one reached out and the other didn't respond or if just neither of them did. But there doesn't seem to have been contact. I mean, it's it's a very short amount of time and you lose track. And then the next thing you know, it's Christmas again. We've all been there. Yep. Just years go by and oh. Christmas. I guess I'll see if I can make out with that person again. Yeah. So she doesn't want to play these games anymore. She just stays homesick. <clears throat> and I wrote down, where is he living? And I have no idea. I don't know if he's in the city or if he's in <laughs> Australia or <laughs> like. Uh, I mean, he's not with living. the. Who knows? Yeah, he's not with the girlfriend anymore. So I assume he's in the city. Yes. I don't know which city. Um, we find out at some point in this year that he's changed jobs a lot for different newspapers. We don't know what any of the newspapers are or where any of them are located, however. Right. And we don't know if he's had different types of writing jobs. Has he always written about, like, foreign affairs? Did he write, like, human interest stories at one point? Does he write about Yeah, we have no idea what he does. Uh... If it wasn't for the one girlfriend who worked at the UN, I would know literally nothing at all about this man. No, all we know is that he works for a newspaper. Right. In the city. (laughs) Yes. He's a newspaper man. Yep. (laughs) 
So <laughs> he calls her, and he has a ring, I think, at this point, right? Yes. He came home to this woman that he has not spoken to after having kissed her once the previous year and thinks he is going to propose to her. Yeah, propose marriage. A very someone. permanent relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and and people who are married typically live together the whole year. I don't know if They do. <laughs> he might not realize that that's one of the things marriage tends to entail. Yeah. It's a little strange, but he's like in it to win it all of a sudden, even though he hasn't spoken to her in a year. He yep. called her. And they start arguing because they have this game that they like to play where you have to say something terrible and then somebody else has to like explain why that wouldn't be so bad and they call it best life ever so your fingers are mice or you have no sense of smell or something goofy and so he says you're stuck in a small town in illinois (laughs) (laughs) yep and i think calls for something like an uncreative boring townie yeah so that argument is crazy. Because it is it so intense. Ramps up so fast. And it doesn't make any sort of sense. Because, I mean, it makes no. sense that he might think, like, oh, you know, you're unimaginative and you should, like, you have more potential than you're letting on and you should live somewhere else, uh, like I am, and I'm doing so much better than you. And then because of that attitude, she's totally right in being like, hey, you're an elitist and a jerk. And, like, that argument makes sense, but then it takes a hard left turn. And he starts right. saying, like, you are mourning your mother incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, that you don't even remember your mother and you keep playing the, I think he actually says, dead mom card. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shitty thing to say to someone whose mom has died. It's just, it's so shocking because obviously in this movie you need like, oh, a a bit of conflict at this point in the movie that like tears them apart and they have to come back together. But they've already had this argument about how he wants to live in a city and how she wants to live in her hometown and how they have that difference. So it was like, okay, that's fine. And then it just keeps going and it's like there's no need for this in terms of plot development and now he just looks like a monster like and she looks genuinely afraid of him like she tells him basically to leave her alone he drives to her house and yells at her from outside her house yeah and she's like hiding from him and yeah genuinely looks afraid it's so crazy because, like, yeah. in what circumstance would you be like, oh, you don't remember a parent? That's not tragic. Why are you sad? Like, no, that's definitely tragic. That definitely is sad. They're allowed to mourn however they want to mourn. You don't get to arbitrate that. Yeah, it's none of his business. Her relationship with her father and the fact that they're close is also really none of his business. Yeah, that was weird because he says like, oh, I bet you have breakfast with your dad all the time and you know that your dad doesn't want to date because he doesn't want to hurt you. And it's like, there's nothing in the movie to indicate that that's true or not. No. I mean, all we know about the father is that he goes to this Christmas party and that E.B. is in love with him. 
Right, that's it. There's actually no evidence that he has any interest in her at this point or not, so. Or in dating at all. Yeah. Like maybe he is afraid of losing someone again, and that's why. And it has nothing Which to do is with a his perfectly good reason not to date if you had a kind of tragic end of a relationship like that. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that could be going on. <laughs> but he just assumes, oh, it's because he doesn't want to hurt his daughter. And if she was a really good daughter, he would let him move on. And he seems to have kind of a chilly relationship with his own parents. So I don't know if he's projecting or what. He might be. But it is so <laughs> strange because you have no indication that he has any of these problems until he expresses them in this moment. And then that they have really nothing to do with him at all. And no. He he doesn't even sound like angry. He's not even like yelling. He's just like coldly detailing his thoughts about her life. <laughs> and yeah. It goes on for like, I don't know, three minutes, his rampage against her as he's standing outside. I don't know. maybe not So this is when I genuinely really started to be concerned that he's a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, even if he's not a killer, he seems really cold. Like, he yeah, does not care about this woman. Like, he wanted to marry her, and then as soon as she was not interested, he's like, "Oh, okay." In that case, I hope that I can just emotionally destroy you. Right, because he is apparently at the bare minimum a sociopath. Yeah, it's so over the line like if we're wanting to them to be together which up until this point i was fine with them ending up with each other and realizing right that they should be together it just you know the timing wasn't right or whatever and i thought it was a little foolish that they didn't try harder but you know whatever in this moment i'm like i don't want her with him i don't want yeah her she anyone. should date literally anyone else just <laughs> anyone anyone who's not gonna like judge her for how she mourns someone or judge her relationship with her family <laughs> just someone who's going to be supportive <laughs> yeah someone who doesn't you know respond to basically mild rejection by screaming at her about her or not screaming but uh but you know in just insulting her and her entire life and every choice she's ever made yeah and that's maybe one thing so to look for in a partner too, like why why should the audience be like yeah, she shouldn't live in a small town, and she shouldn't do this job she clearly enjoys. <laughs> like, she's right. happy. And there's nothing wrong with her having a good relationship with her dad. Yeah. They work together, they clearly care about each other, they've always been close. That's not necessarily a bad thing. No. it's It would be a bad thing if she, like couldn't make decisions without him and she needed to go running to daddy about every little thing but again we have no indication of this and that's not even what he says he just says oh you have breakfast with him all the time and it's like what <laughs> why and then he says something about that she and he also says something about that she sleeps in like her old bed and it's like yeah it's probably the bed her father made for her with his bare hands why shouldn't she have kept that when she moved out right that's that's a good point. Also, <laughs> do, does he know that? It's not like he's been at her place before. <laughs> I don't know why or how he would know that. Um, I don't know. Maybe her dad told him. Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's 
it's such a crazy scene. It's like, I know why they had to have them argue, but it's like, you guys went way too far in writing the scene. It's not okay. Yeah, it was really intense and really just terrifying, honestly, in terms of what he was like with her. Yeah. She said some pretty cruel things too, but he, he went the furthest. I'm trying to remember some of what she said, but most of what she said was justified in just saying that he was acting like an elitist asshole. Which I think she also said that he couldn't commit because he didn't like himself and thought that if anybody got to know him too well, they wouldn't like him either. And so that's why he's never committed to a girlfriend. And that's why he's apparently had like seven jobs in five years or something like that at different newspapers in the or different cities. It's it's not clear. Yeah, that was kind of over the line, but like not nearly as bad as what he did. Um, yeah, he definitely escalated things. Yeah. <laughs> and it was strange, too, that she said that he never committed because he was in a committed relationship for like a year with that Australian woman. Yeah, I think they were definitely living together. It was I think they must have been dating for at least about close to two years, a year and a half. Yeah. So. I don't know. He doesn't seem all that close to his parents and doesn't care about the town they're from, but it doesn't seem that he's necessarily, like, holding everyone back. Right. Until he acts like a sociopath, and then you're like, I don't know, maybe he is kind of not connecting to people. Maybe you maybe you don't like yourself, and maybe there's a good reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and then five years go by, and he doesn't come home. <laughs> Yeah, there is no evidence, there's in fact evidence they have not spoken to each other in this five-year period. He has sent her Christmas cards, and she has not responded. And he says, I sent you those Christmas cards as an apology, which makes it sound like the Christmas cards are basically saying, Happy Christmas. Not, I'm so sorry for everything I said, that was terrible. Just... Happy Christmas. Here's a photo of me in the city. Right. (laughs) As an apology. It's not like he's written out an apology. It's not like he had a moment of clarity and like tried to make things right. He just didn't want to deal with it and hid from her for five years. Yeah. And hoped that maybe she would, I guess, read a Christmas card, magically realize it was meant to be an apology, and then try to contact him. I guess. It was bizarre. I mean, I get Christmas cards from, like, my dentist. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't get Christmas cards and think, like, oh, they're thinking about me. They really they really care. I mean, I might with, like, a friend who hasn't been, you know, wicked to me. <laughs> right. This person is trying to repair our relationship by sending me this Christmas card is, I feel like, not a thought that people really have. No, if anything, it makes it seem like you're not still sore about that, are you? Come on, we're friends. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, get over it. <laughs> we can just be friendly acquaintances now who are on each other's Christmas card lists. Exactly. It doesn't sound like a true friendship or a true relationship. It just seems like, oh, you know, I'm not making it home. I'm going to send out some Christmas cards to some folks from back home. It's like, yeah. okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> And then 
when they're talking to each other, he still has a ring. He loses it for half a second. You think he's going to like be running around to get it. Gets it pretty quickly. Um, and then There are two he's... other children, and one of them is fake proposing to the other. Yeah. And my thought was, oh, God, is this the future of this couple? Are they setting up a sequel to this movie? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they would totally do that, though. They would, right? <laughs> That's why it's so terrifying. <laughs> oh, goodness. What would the sequel of that of this movie be called? Like, Love at the Christmas Table, and then it would be love under the christmas table or love at new year's eve parties or oh god maybe that would be it love it love at the new year's eve love under the new year's eve hats i don't know <laughs> it's terrible but very plausible but yeah. that's what they would call it <laughs> <laughs> and those are the children who grew up seeing this great love story and one proposed to the other when they were 10 or whatever and then you have to see them for the next 20 years of their lives right and then at the end she proposes to him and he's like but you said no and she says but i was 10 (laughs) (laughs) and then she says also i mean it's not like we've talked in the last 10 years and then she goes it's fine (laughs) i can't find anyone better (laughs) (laughs) this town is really small it's real small so then uh, Sam and Kat are talking. Uh, Kat says, you were kind of right about some of the things you said. I was holding my dad back. I need to help him or someone uh, make a move. And you're not sure if she's talking about her dad or another man. And if she's talking about another man, is she dating this man? Is she trying to prompt a boyfriend into proposing to her? Or something right and he clearly hopes that maybe she's talking about him but then she gets up and leaves yeah it's in this moment he's like oh are you proposing to me he doesn't say it out loud but it's clear on his face that's what he's thinking and you're like what she's like forgiving you for being awful that's not the same thing as like oh yeah i definitely want to marry you like it's just yeah why would she propose to him on the basis of we haven't spoken in five years and the last time we spoke you accused me of playing the dead mom card (laughs) it's it's so terrible even hearing it now like (laughs) (laughs) i i watched the movie and like, we've talked about it, and yet, when you said it again, I just felt like I got socked in the gut again. It's such a horrible It's so thing. bad. <laughs> <sighs> so, anyways, he's like, I'm a little confused, but I'm going to stick around and see what happens. And he talks to the blonde woman who's always drunk and obnoxious, who he used to have a crush on, whose name we do not know. And uh, no. she says... Oh, yeah, buddy, she got over you a long time ago. You need to get up out of here. And uh, so he leaves, and then his parents see him leaving, and they're like, what? You can't leave. We <laughs> barely see you, and you're being rude. But we'll Because he might also only see or talk to his parents on Christmas. It's entirely possible <laughs> that he only talks to work associates and girlfriends 
the other days of the year. Because <laughs> he certainly doesn't come home. And I feel no. like given that, I don't know, even if he's in New York, I feel like New York to Illinois is really not that far and he could come home more than once a year. Yeah. I, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but they walk with him. And at this point, my sister has walked in and she's like, man, that guy really is a wimp in terms of it being cold. Look what, what his mom's wearing. Because his mom's wearing like, <laughs> like a decorative coat that doesn't even cover her arms. <laughs> yeah, and I get cold really easily, but uh, he does seem to be excessively cold all the time. Maybe that's the real reason he's not, you know, going to Illinois. It's too cold. Right. In which case, he can't be in New York because New York City is friggin' cold. Maybe he's in Los Angeles. Maybe. maybe That's also a city. That's also a city. They probably have newspapers there. They do. Um, so then they're like, we wish you hadn't taken us seriously when we said you couldn't find contentment. That was a stupid thing for us to say. And the best thing about Christmas party is watching you flirt with that girl. So you should go after that girl. And then he runs back to the house and Sam has gone to the workshop because I guess EB knew that uh, Sam had set something up there. Right. Well, but in the meantime, before Kat had that weird interaction with EB and her father. Yes. Where she (laughs) proposes to EB for her dad. So we know from earlier in the movie that E.B. had apparently been in love with her dad for years. We have no particular reason to think her dad was interested in E.B., but be that as it may. But she basically makes this even more disgusting concoction, which she serves her and tells her how much he cares about her, how much he's always been a mother figure to her. And then, as I said, proposes to her. Her dad comes in and they, for some reason, both agree to the fact that they are going to get married and have what, as far as we know, is their first kiss. In front of her. and then In front of her. Slowly, slowly, slowly makes her way out of the room. I'm like, you can go. You can, no, you like, really can go. Like, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> no, is, are, are they going to have sex in this library right now? They might have sex in this library right now. You should go. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally she goes. And then somebody tells her to go to the... Um, the workshop. I don't remember who. Yes. And so Sam, it turns out, not only still has the engagement ring, but says that he bought her a house. In New York. Yeah. She's never expressed interest in living. No. And also that he has a job blogging. Right. So, <laughs> I almost don't even know what to say because it's just such a random thing. Like, oh, I could live anywhere, and because I could live anywhere, let me take this woman who's clearly happy in this small Illinois town and make her live in rural New York. <laughs> right. Because at first I thought he was saying that he was going to move back home. But yeah, but then he has all the like New York posters in this thing that he set up for her in the workshop, which is weird because like they never have conversations like it would be one thing no he was like 
like when they used to have a relationship, they were like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you were able to work from home somehow um, or commute uh, from this beautiful place in, in New York? And, uh, and he was, he was like, yeah, if only that could work out. And she's like, if only, you know, I I had the money to do that or something. And then later it's like, oh, wow, they get to both have their dream. But this has never been a conversation between them about living in, in this area. No, nor have they spoken in five years. So even if they had (laughs) had those conversations, it's entirely possible their goals and preferences could have changed. So he wants to move to New York. We haven't talked about the cardboard house yet or the crayons. No. So, yeah, he leaves a trail of crayons for her to a cardboard fake house that he made for her, which looks like something a serial killer would do. I was genuinely a little concerned that this movie was about to take a turn and that he was going to come in and trap her there and then maybe murder her. (laughs) I can see, like, in a different movie where it takes a twist and he's like, now you're happy, now we can live together in our perfect little cardboard house. And then she's like, I want to live here. And he's like, you don't want to live here, then I have to kill you. I had this moment of, oh God, this isn't the house he bought for her, is it? Has he really gone over the edge? And by that, he means he built her this cardboard house and expects her to stay there with him forever. (laughs) And then he has like a tiny, um, like cereal box that he like types on, quote unquote. And he's like, I'm (laughs) loading. He makes a son out of cardboard and and tries to get everyone at the Christmas party to pretend it's a real child. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. This could get dark real quick. It it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, I, but it is horrifying. I I was into it. I thought it was cute. He has a bunch of like um pictures on the wall of all the little things they've done, like a picture of like the rum cake of the ice the bucket of ice and uh a few other things. And she's very charmed. And this thing is huge. Like, you'd think it'd be it is. Really it's long. very elaborate. It also, I mean, so I think it would have been really cute if this had been a couple who had had a real relationship. But yeah. given the fact that, as far as what we know of them, they have kissed once, they have never actually dated, they have essentially seen each other for six hours once a year for the past 30 years. Um,. <laughs> and have not spoken at all in the last five years. Given all that, if somebody then did that for me, I would run. I would run and I would call the police. Yeah, I'd be like, I think you take us as a couple very seriously. And I don't feel the same way since I don't really know you, but I wish you well. Please go away. (laughs) Yeah, Maybe I should think about getting a restraining order if you call me again. Yeah. Um, but she is enchanted, of course, and she goes through she the is. Uh, hallways in this <laughs> enormous cardboard house. This extremely elaborate cardboard house. Like, it must have taken him forever to make that house. Yeah, he finally got there, like, earlier than just that day. And instead of, like, 
spending time with her just made this elaborate house out of cardboard. Right. He didn't call her and apologize for being a jerk. He made her a a cardboard house. Uh, Then she rushes back, assuming he is there. And fortunately, he is already there. Everyone decides to make like a surprise party kind of a thing about it and hides. He is underneath the children's table where they first met um, when they were kids and coloring with red red crayons. And mm-hmm. it's all lit up with uh, Christmas lights. And she goes to sit underneath this table with him. And it's a good thing they're both very short because it is a small table. <laughs> it is because it is actually the children's table. Yeah. I mean, it would be difficult for most average size people to do that underneath a like a table for adults <laughs> right i mean i'm five four and i feel like i could barely sit comfortably under the table under my actual adult size table yeah <laughs> uh, but i guess they're very small uh and and they're perfectly comfortable there um and i don't know does he say anything super romantic I feel like he does. Well, it's this whole thing that he says, oh, I really have to get this out and implies that he has this big, elaborate, prepared speech and then just completely stumbles over his words and is completely inarticulate and at some point manages to spit out that he has always loved her. Yeah. And she says that, oh, and he says that he wants to build something with her. Right. And then she's like, yes, let's go get married and live far away (laughs) and they kiss this is the second time that they've kissed they're not agreeing to date they are agreeing to move in together in a place that she has never been and get married yeah it is insane i mean to talk about like (laughs) where if if we were to start dating, like, where should we live? Like, do you want to stay in this town? Or do you want to maybe try out starting your own business? Or, like, making your dad's business a franchise? And then, like, where would it make sense to live? But he's right. just pretty much decided where they're going to live. And she's totally fine with us. Yeah, which is a kind of gross part of the gender dynamic here, too. That he has made all of those decisions for her. Yeah, and she's does not have a problem with this. This does not strike her as controlling behavior at all. (laughs) No, she thinks this is very romantic and definitely does not think that he is going to murder her, which is still (laughs) what I am concerned about. (laughs) I mean, I guess it does show that he's not commitment phobic if he's willing to make the purchase of a house. But I think telling someone I'm willing to make the purchase of a house is also communicating that without like forcing them to live in like a specific house. <laughs> so what would have made sense at the end of this movie it would have been if he had said, I want us to try to have a real relationship. I got this blogging job, so I don't have to be in a particular place. I'm up to move back here for now and we'll figure things out and see where things take us. Yeah, that would actually be <laughs> what real human beings would do. Yeah. This is just, as I said, insane. This is not how any relationship has ever worked. No. Yeah. This is... 
It's almost like frontier times where it's like, we're moving to the West. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and then the woman's like, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's just so strange. Like, it doesn't... There's no, there's no reason, especially since he has that blinding job, there's no reason that they should live in a third location. Like, why doesn't she right. want to move to New York City? Why doesn't he want to move home? Or, like you said, just, like, say, for now, let's live here and we can decide in the future what we want. But it's, yeah, it's, it's very weird. A random third location. Oh, man. Yeah, it's completely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of ways this movie could have made more sense. And there and, are. Um, what? There are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like one of them could have been they see each other when he comes home throughout college and instead of us getting like one interaction per year we get a few for every year so he's there for like a week they see each other at like three events every year and so then like it shrinks down the timeline <laughs> right like, maybe they occasionally go get coffee alone because the other thing is that the vast majority of their interactions have been with other people and not even in private also true <laughs> it would be good if like she went out shopping and then like bumped into him one year and they're like oh let's spend time together it's good to see you and then the next year they actually make plans to see each other on purpose right or maybe during the year we see them having a phone call yeah like one just just one yeah or like we see her going about her life and like there's her talking like over it and it's clearly like an email to him and then we cut to him wherever he is and he's living his life and we hear his voice over and it's clearly an email to her but no <laughs> right and even if they want to you know keep up what they're doing which i guess saves on money for set decoration where pretty much the entire movie takes place in this house they still could refer to these interactions as having taken place. Yeah. I mean, even at the beginning, we have the montage and then we have that conversation where she's like, well, remember in high school, blah, blah, blah. Like they could do that still. Like remember when you came home for 4th of July or Thanksgiving or your birthday and we did these things. <laughs> right. Remember when I went to visit you in the city? Right. I love <laughs> the city. <laughs> It has great museums. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think just, like, making the timeline shorter, and then when they have the argument, he, like, doesn't come home for Christmas, but then, like, they manage to start talking in spring or something like i know they want to stay so much to this conceit of it's always christmas in this movie but it just it ends up making them seem really strange right and even if they'd started talking again on christmas but then hadn't actually gotten engaged yeah there's no reason for this to end in an engagement right i mean many romantic comedies end with just it's clear that they're gonna be a couple and they're gonna date each other it's not like every romantic comedy has to end in an actual like specific plan to get married right and the fact that it's been so many years is crazy like it's been five years yeah. since we've spoken and then it was like another five years of you going back and forth about maybe we should flirt maybe we shouldn't it's just 
bonkers. Like this could it's easily so weird. take place over the course of like three years. Yeah. Like we don't need to check in on them. Plus it makes the pacing of the movie really strange when you're like in a scene and then it's like, let's jump ahead a year. And then in a scene, let's jump ahead a year. It just feels right. really choppy since you do it so much in this movie. Right. And it also makes the whole thing very weird as well in terms of, um, as I said, again, as I said earlier, that then you have to have these people like play as 18 year olds. And I feel like if maybe they just kind of skip to like, oh, maybe we're like 25 now and we like kind of lost touch in college, but maybe now we're going to be friends again. I feel like that would have been exactly better. And it would have maybe they should have like been high school sweethearts and then they like fell out of contact and now they want to rekindle that flame. That way there's, like, something already there. Right, because I think even the tagline also refers to them as childhood best friends, and that's not really something that you see in the movie, either. Like, it's not even like they really maintain a friendship during the year, much less a flirtation or a romantic relationship. Right, like, it, there's just that one conversation where she's like, I helped you get a girlfriend, and it's like, exactly how much interaction did you guys have like was it a lot or just some it there's no way of knowing yeah it was not clear yeah so what was your um theory so uh in addition to the possibility just that he is a serial killer (laughs) my other theory about how this movie makes sense is that it's a weird curse like beauty and the beast that it's actually christmas year round And the only way they can escape this curse finally and have it no longer be Christmas is if this couple gets married. And so uh, the other members of the family have actually been trying to make this happen for like years because they know that this is the only way that they can live the rest of their lives and have it not be this eternal Christmas. (laughs) I really like that. (laughs) So I think if that's what was going on, this movie would make sense. Yeah, it's like almost in Narnia where it's like winter all the time and then like someone has to come and break the curse. <laughs> exactly. Except and that's why at the end Christmas. she goes it can and that's why at the end she goes it can no longer be Christmas finally because they're getting married. So the curse is over. <laughs> that does happen. As soon as they get engaged, usually in these movies they kiss and credits. Not this one. We see them milling about in a party and then EB walks them outside and she's like I'm going to turn off the lights. And they're like, okay. And they're staring at her. And then she's like, it's Christmas no more. And then she turns off the lights and then it all goes dark and credits. And it's like such a jarring way. And her neighbors also must think that she's insane because she's had these lights up constantly for the last 30 years and then turns them off on Christmas. Yeah. Cause it's a Christmas Eve party. So it's literally like the 24th of December it's the right time to have Christmas lights. And she's like, no, we're done. <laughs> I mean, I can see if you've been cursed to have endless Christmas for the last 30 years, why you would want to, you know, not have Christmas lights anymore. I get that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> but it's such like a bleak ending. Like, they're like, oh, yay, we're together. And then like that other couple of EB and Cat's dad are together. And that's so nice. And then she's like, come outside. And they're like, okay. And then she's like, it's Christmas no more. Darkness. And it's like, okay. Right. Oh, and she also then says, I am no longer Miss Havisham. Yeah. Which, again, this is the worst Dickens metaphor I have ever seen. I'm just the worst literary metaphor I've ever seen. 
<laughs> yeah, because again, it seems to be saying like, I could not live my life without him. And then finally, someone else intervened and made my life worth living again, which is like, right. Ugh. <laughs> it's so creepy. And it's so strange, too, because earlier in the movie, when she's talking about Mrs. Haversham, she's like, I don't want that fate for you. And it's like, if you have that self-awareness, you shouldn't want that fate for yourself either. Like, No, you should chill out and, like, I don't know, ask either ask him on a date because his wife has been dead at this point for 25 years. Right. Or go out with somebody else. Right. Or decide that you don't want a date or whatever, but... You need to take those lights down, lady, and yeah, chill. She's she's in limbo, and that kind of makes sense too. If like nobody can move forward because it's always Christmas, like she's just stuck in this curse of loving this man, and like she's not allowed to move forward with her life because of the curse that's going on. I really like this extra textual thing going on because <laughs> it actually makes everything make so much more sense. <laughs> it really does. I think that also explains the weirdness of the children's ages. Yeah, like there are children, there aren't children, there are children, but they're the same age. <laughs> yeah. It's almost got like a dreamlike quality, this movie. Exactly. Yeah, it, because of the curse. Right. <laughs> and then even when they leave the house and they go out into the street, there is literally no one there. It is just her and him. And then later when he goes out, it's just him and his parents. There's no one Maybe else because on everyone else has fled the town because, in fact, the entire town is cursed. Yeah, I think and the so it's town only yeah, and so it's only the only people in the town are the people who go to this Christmas party, and everyone else, I guess, managed to leave before the curse set in. Right, and that's why they have to go to this party. They can't be anywhere else. They're cursed no. to go. <laughs> They're cursed to have to do karaoke <laughs> <laughs> or dance in the streets for no reason. That was weird, too. There's that scene where he is trying to make her feel better after she's been broken up with. And so he puts on a record and then he starts dancing with her and everyone's looking at them and they're like, oh, you're so cute. And then they all start dancing on the lawn and bumping up the music so they can all dance along on the lawn. And it's like, oh, nice. They're finally like seeing that, you know, they belong together. We're almost to the end of the movie. Wrong. There's like eight more years before they kiss. I'm like, what is happening? No, it's ridiculous. (laughs) And it's also, as I said, it's one of those scenes where I'm, you know, assuming that they do have neighbors and it's not a, you know, cursed landscape where the only people in this town are the people at this party. Their neighbors must hate them. Yeah. Because it's so loud. And also, like, EB is really chill about everything that goes on at this party like oh you want to throw around ice in my lovely hardwood floor nice furniture nice decorated uh dining room cool just mop it up when you're done also the ice looked pretty hard i'm actually kind of worried that one of the children is gonna like get hit in the face and get like i don't know get like seriously scratched up or bruised or something i mean it seems like a something into that an adult should intervene and stop exactly because like it's not like they can throw ice at each other from a far distance like they're right across from each other in a small room (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's completely bizarre yeah okay so i think we've come to the point where we can 
pass our verdicts, there are two ways um, to pass a verdict. We'll do both uh, one to five stars that indicates how good the movie is, and then one to five whatevers that indicates how uh, much fun you had mocking the movie. If the movie's really goofy, then it gets a high score. Uh, so, oh gosh, is it tables, I guess, for the goofiness score? Yeah, it should should be tables. Okay. So I'll say, I'll give this movie one star. I thought the dialogue wasn't terrible. I thought they had good chemistry. I thought there were good actors in it. Um, and each individual scene is cute. But when you string it together, it's really a horrifying story. <laughs> so I can't give it more stars. Um, in terms of goofiness, it's such a strange premise to tie yourself to. And it leads you down such a negative path <laughs> that, I don't know, I'm going to go, I think, maybe four tables on this one. <laughs> I'm actually going to, I think, do pretty much the exact same thing. Yeah, I was thinking uh, one star for how good a movie this is because it is bad. Um, I think that they are trying really hard with this idea of uh, the kind of each year at Christmas and the way that they end up doing it makes the entire movie just make no sense whatsoever. Um, uh, And the only, as I said, explanation for it make I, I don't know as I said it just ends up being you know coming off with him being this like creepy guy who might murder her and that's not really what you want at the end of a romantic comedy to be your kind of general impression of the main characters in their relationship um but given that I think uh, I am also going to give this four tables for the kind of mockability rating because I had a lot of fun trying to come up with the ways in which this could make sense, including both uh, my curse theory and my serial killer theory in which there actually is a sequel to this movie where they're still going to this Christmas party and they have this cardboard son that they live with in the cardboard house. And everybody has to pretend the cardboard son is a real boy. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the boy. Yeah, exactly. Like the boy, except it's this like cardboard son that they have. And everyone knows that if you don't, you know, treat the cardboard son like a real boy, Sam might murder you. <laughs> and then he makes you like throw ice at it and it starts to like get soggy <laughs> and gross. And you're like, oh, no, is he going to be mad that his son is soggy and gross? <laughs> and he just has this like weird, like half, like kind of toothy half grin drawn on his cardboard face. It's all in red crayon because yep. everything be in red crayon. <laughs> Everything's in red crayon. Yeah. I can see it. <laughs> yeah. So so well, I'm definitely giving <laughs> Exactly. Go for it. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna give this movie four tables for how much fun I had trying to explain this movie. <laughs> awesome. So uh Sarah, do you have anything to plug? I do. So um, it's not quite out yet, but in the hopefully pretty near future, um, I will be starting a podcast with Ollie Brady, a past guest here who is uh, also on Best Acquaintances. And it's called Media Evil. So I am a medieval historian, and he really likes watching movies where people have swords. (laughs) So uh, we are going to uh, watch uh, medieval movies and TV shows and read books and talk about what they got right and what they got wrong and what they tell us about how people see the medieval world. 
Um, so which is something I'm really excited about because I am a medieval historian and I teach medieval history and have students come in and say things like, I assume the medieval world is really violent because I watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited. Um, we've recorded a couple of episodes, but still have to kind of get all the practical stuff together. But uh, our first episode will be on Braveheart. Nice. Yeah. Which gets a lot of things very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, where, I mean, I know you don't have the practicals done, but just search for media evil. That's the word media and the word evil. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so M-E-D-I-A dash E-V-A-L. Um, so if you can, you know, search for that, uh, we will, uh, you know, have that up and running hopefully pretty soon. Um, and at some point we'll have Twitter and whatnot worked out, but uh, not quite yet. So just uh, I'll give you that for the moment. Um, and you could also contact us at uh, media.evilpod at gmail.com that we do have set up if you have any questions or thoughts. And yeah, and you can also, yeah, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Iftdecker. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I weirdly enjoyed watching this movie. <laughs> I'm glad. This one at least was interesting. I feel bad if I have people on and we have to watch something really boring, which sometimes happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this I think was a rich vein of entertainment in its own special way. Absolutely. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at NABM Podcast. You can search for us on Facebook. Um, and if you could rate and review and subscribe and all that good stuff i would appreciate it i will hopefully be back in a month happy christmas in july bye happy christmas <laughs>